Thank you so much to our youth choir. You guys sounded fantastic today. If you're a student and you're not in the youth choir, you'll want to be. They take a big trip in the summer and have a lot of fun. And uh, you find out more about our youth choir. It's, it's doing so very well. Thank you, Dan and Jody and, and David, for leading us so beautifully in music today. We continue our Mathean sermon series. If you turn this morning to the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, this is called the parable section or the kingdom of heaven section. It is in this particular chapter where Jesus tells the parables. We saw the parable of the souls last week. But he begins most often these parables as he does the two that we look at today when he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And then he tells a story using everyday images that somehow paints a picture for us to know more about what God's kingdom is really like. Richard Jordan had everything in life that he ever wanted. He had some cars. He had a new house, he had a fiance, and then without warning, his fiance said, farewell, so long, I'm out of here. Well, what did Richard Jordan do? Well, to console his soul, he sold everything. To console his soul, he sold everything. I mean everything. He sold his cars, he sold his house, in fact, it took months to divest himself of every single thing that he owned. But eventually, having completely liquidated all of his assets, Richard Jordan came up with $75,000, all his possessions combined. He traded absolutely everything, multiple cars, his house, and anything extra that he had well, he had nothing left but the $75,000 and the clothes on his back. He traded all in to put down a down payment on a Lamborghini Gallardo. A Lamborghini Gallardo. Maybe an emotional response to being dumped by his fiance. I don't know, but he had traded it all in house and cars and various vehicles for one very, very expensive Italian sports car, retail at the time, $180,000 car. He just started driving. He drove 100,000 miles. He drove across America and back across America and back across America and back across America. He just kept on driving, wandered from place to place, didn't have a plan, didn't have anywhere he needed to be living in a motel here and a hotel there, making new friends along the way and even an enemy or two as he went. The Gallardo Lamborghini will go from zero to 60 in four seconds. I don't want to be in it when it does, but that is what it will do, a top speed of 195 miles per hour. During Jordan's journey, his carefree journey, he amassed 53 speeding tickets, 53 speeding tickets. 
In fact, he was eventually handcuffed by an Indiana state trooper who was sure that a guy in a car like that must be up to something doing with drugs. And so he was a, seen as a drug runner going up and down the highways. Oh, you want to know the end of the story? All that hard <coughs> driving and all those long miles caused the timing change to stretch crunching the valves and turning the car into modern art. It was just a structure he could show his friend. He couldn't drive it anymore. The Gallardo Lamborghini became one very expensive paperweight for him to have and show. Well, Richard Jordan cashed everything in for a Lamborghini Gallardo. What would you cash everything in to possess? to have, and to hold. Interestingly enough, Jesus tells a couple of stories that are kind of like Jordan's journey, cashing it all in to grab the one thing that you really, really want. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in the field. The kingdom of heaven is like the pearl of great price. Well, look at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. From the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I guess all of us as children dream of buying a metal detector and combing the beach or the countryside and making an instant million when I was just a child on the Carolina coast, I had an uncle who owned such a metal detector, and he told me I could borrow it. I got my little sand pail and my little shovel, and I went up and down the beach and listening to the beeps and the buzz of the get-rich gadget, and it would buzz and beep, and I would get excited, and I would stoop down, and I would start digging, and, well, it was a bottle cap once again. My riches turned out after hours of buzzing and beeping and digging to be bottle caps and beer cans abandoned by a beach litter bug. Oh, oh, treasure hunting promises to be exciting, but be sure of your trove before you spend your time and money looking for something that is not all that it seems. There is treasure to be found. Gene Horn, in the book entitled, You Can Find a Fortune, a Finder's Guide to Some of the World's Missing Treasures, writes, Gold and silver treasure is literally all around you. Buried pirate loot, lost mines, buried war loot, sunken ships. You may have to travel a few miles to your location, but with luck and proper background of research and the proper equipment, you could become an instant millionaire. Well, in verse 44, the farmer stumbles over just such a treasure. He's plowing in the field. The sun is hot. His only goal, perhaps, is to make it through the day. If he could just hold on to the end of the day, he could receive his denarius, his day's wage, and he could buy food for his family on the way home. But all of a sudden, there's a jolt in the 
plow and the animals are knocked out of their rhythmic plowing pace. Woe, he yells to the beast of burden. Stopping, he bends down to remove what he thinks is yet another stone. And all of a sudden, there it is, a pot, a clay container full, overflowing with gold. It's full of gold. He looks around to the left and to the right, and no one had seen him quickly. He recovers the pot under the earth. His heart is racing, and he goes home. On April the 3rd, 1942, in today's dollars, four kids out playing and digging in the dirt found $85,939 worth of coins. Four youngsters from Florence, Alabama, playing in a, just a side lot, uncovered a pot full of gold coins. Lynn Scanlon's a taxi cab driver. He reported the discovery made by his two sons and two of their playmates. The gold, they supposed, was hidden by local planters during the Civil War under the threat of Sherman's Southern Campaign. In the end, it became a dispute between the guy who said he owned the lot and the kids who uncovered the gold, and last time I heard, it was still in court. But there's no dispute in this parable. By ancient laws governing the day, he had no obligation to report the found pot to the government. He had no obligation to report it to the landowner as long as he left it right there where he found it. And that is what he did. He keeps it a secret. He was so sure of his treasure, he was willing to assume a great risk in order to obtain it. With no banks existing in antiquity, you can imagine that you had to put your money somewhere. And it, well, it, it wasn't uncommon. In fact, archaeologists still discover such pots today. They would bury their treasure in the soul. Well, the laborer was not looking for treasure, but he found great treasure. And he appraised his value as being worth more than all that he owned. Recovering the pot with the soul, he quickly sold all that he had, and he purchased the land, seeking ultimately to possess the treasure question this morning for us is this. To what are we giving our all? What is the value of the thing that you and I are ultimately trying to possess? Before we devote the entirety of our lives and our resources, our time, our energy, our very self, we need to be sure of the treasure to which we're devoted true treasure. Jesus is teaching his disciples there in Matthew 13. True treasure is to possess the kingdom of God. True treasure is a relationship with the Christ. Some of you here this morning did not come to church seeking a treasure any more than the field hand was looking for a pot of gold while he was plowing. Today in your life, You're interrupted by the gospel, the good news that Jesus has died for your sins and that his tomb is empty, that he's already paid the price and salvation is yours. 
if you commit yourself to it. Today, perhaps your life is interrupted. Maybe you're watching by way of television and your life is interrupted. You are jolted like the plowman because you've struck treasure this morning. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. He wasn't looking for the gold no more than the woman with the well. She was just looking for some water, and there she met the one who was the living water, or the apostle Paul who's on the road to Damascus to persecute the church, and he sees the bright light, the resurrected Christ. Paul wasn't looking. The woman at the well wasn't looking. The plowman wasn't looking, but they found, they struck by happenstance the greatest treasure of all times. Be sure of your treasure, and you need to count the cost. Jesus does this morning want us to see how much the kingdom costs. The farmer sold all that he had. It cost him his everything. And so it is with God's kingdom. If you decide to be a follower of Jesus, you need to realize the cost Christ will want your time, your resources, your talents. You're all devoted to his kingdom. If you, as you read this story, you realize, verse 44, that he doesn't give it all begrudgingly, but rather he has joy for the joy that he finds in the treasure, the joy that it brings. He's willing to risk it all in order to obtain the treasure the price of the kingdom of God is our everything, not our spare pocket change. I like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't really want enough of God to make any changes in my life. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a womb, not a new birth. I want to buy $3 worth of God, please. How much worth of God do you want? My friend Jim Dennison, former pastor of the Park City's Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, tells of a summer missionary experience to East Malaysia. The church met there in the warehouse, and they were having a baptism service in the warehouse, and a young girl was being baptized in a, in a bathtub. That's all the baptistry was there in East Malaysia in the warehouse church. And Dennison noticed some old worn-out luggage against the wall behind the girl, and so he asked one of the full-time missionaries, what's the meaning of the old luggage here behind the baptistry? And the missionary said, the father of that girl told her today that if she chose to be baptized as a Christian, she could never come home again. And so she packed her bags. The kingdom of heaven is like that. It might cost you your family, your friendships. It will cost you your absolute everything. Christ never called a part-time or a halfway disciple. He wants your everything or your nothing. If the farmer was not seeking the kingdom, but accidentally fell into it, 
The next parable he tells is about one who is, on the other hand, actively seeking the kingdom of God. Maybe you're here this morning, or maybe you've tuned in on television because there's hurt in your life or loss in your life. You're uncertain and unsure, and you're looking for that anchor in your life. Well, look at Matthew 13, 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like. You notice these parables in chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought it. The plow hand wasn't looking for pots of gold, but he struck one. He encountered the kingdom and he gave all that he had to own it. And the pearl merchant, on the other hand, was looking for a great pearl and he found it and he sold all that he had and he bought it. The gentleman was a merchant in goods of the kind. He knew a great pearl when he saw it. He wasn't a shopkeeper. He was a pearl dealer on a grand scale, one who traveled the pearl fisheries of the Persian Gulf or India in search of the pearl of the great price. What he bought in the east, he would transport to the west and sell for vast sums of profit. Pearls on a grand scale were not unheard of then or now. Plenty, an ancient historian says that Cleopatra had two pearls worth $4 million. Julius Caesar presented the mother of Brutus with a pearl valued at $350,000. Such great pearls existed then and now. Imagine the setting in the Middle East. The pearl merchant contacts the sheik of the pearl trade. He goes into his tent. And after the sheik is sure of his visitor, he invites him back into the smaller tent. And the curtains are closed. And he takes out a cloth sack. And carefully and slowly, he works out this enormous pearl and holds it and the cloth in his hands. The pearl dealer who's called in the back of the tent is, while well, he tries not to show his excitement, in all his years of buying and selling pearls, he had never seen one like this. He swallowed so loudly he was sure that he gave himself away. Let's put the parable in modern terms like it's now, here and now. He asked the sheik, trying to be cool and calculating, what would it cost to own that pearl that you have? All that you have, says the sheik, and the price is firm. Well, says the merchant, what I have is five smaller pearls. They're certainly not like your pearl of great price, but they're fine jewels in their own right. That's what I have is, is five nice pearls. I'll trade my five nice pearls for your one great pearl. Would that be okay? Well, said the sheik, if that's all that you have, that's the prize. Okay, says the dealer, I'll have to go to my car and get my five pearls. Car, said the sheik, you didn't say anything about owning a car. 
I told you the pearl of great price would cost you everything, so when you bring me those five fine pearls, you bring me the keys to that car as well because the pearl of great price costs you absolutely everything. Well, he thought about it for a while. He hated to give up his car, but he could see the value of that pearl of great price. It was worth way more than his five pearls and his car combined. And so, sort of reluctantly, he said, okay, I'm still in on the deal because then my friends will be able to. Friends, said the sheik. You didn't say anything about having any friends. You see, I told you at the beginning, the pearl of great price will cost you everything. I need your five fine pearls. I need the keys to your car, and I need all of your friends as well, because this pearl will cost you your friendships too. Well, As good a pearl dealer as he was, he wasn't all that bright, because the next thing he says, well, then how am I going to get home? Home, said the sheik. You didn't say anything about owning a home. If you still want this pearl of great prize, it will cost you your five fine pearls, the keys to your car, your friends, and I want the keys to your house as well. The pearl of great price cost you everything. You see the point of Jesus' story. If you want to be a follower of Christ, if you're going to be part of his kingdom, you'll have to be willing to trade it all in for the one great thing. N.T. Wright has said, the gospel of the kingdom, it isn't some pleasant religious idea that you might like to explore sometime when you have a couple of extra hours in the afternoon. The gospel of the kingdom isn't an attractive object at a museum that you might visit admiringly and explore a little bit about. The kingdom of the gospel isn't like either of those things. The kingdom of the gospel is a fabulous hoard of treasure. It's yours for the taking if you'll sell everything else and buy the field where it's hidden. It's the biggest, finest, purest pearl that any jeweler has ever imagined. And it's yours for the taking if you'll sell everything else, including all of the other pearls that you have ever owned in exchange for the one great pearl. That's the shocking thing about the kingdom. To be confronted with the story of Jesus is to be confronted with the greatest treasure of all. So what about us today? Maybe you came today not looking for any treasure and you struck gold. Or or maybe you did come today looking like the merchant in pearls, whether by accident or on purpose. The treasure this morning is before you. The pearl of great price, the treasure in the field.
So is the kingdom of heaven. A story of a Jewish rabbi, a Messiah who had did absolutely nothing wrong, virgin born, lived a perfect life, crucified for my sins, crucified for your sins, buried and forgotten, and yet rises from the tomb, ascends to heaven, and says, I'm going to return for those, and only for those who've traded it all for the treasure in the field, who've cashed it all in for the pearl of great price. You just plowed a field this morning. You just struck the pot. How do you respond? Let us pray. Oh God, shame on us for toying with the gospel. It's not something to be toyed with. It's a total commitment call. We can't add water to the soup. We can't change the message. The one who died and rose again said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field, the joy for which a man goes and sells all that he has and buys it. The one who ushers in the kingdom says the kingdom calls for total discipleship. That Christ will be our number one priority or he'll be our nothing at all. Oh God, I pray if there's someone here in this room or someone listening by way of television that needs to know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Even today, he will come or she will come and say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I want the treasure in the field. I want the pearl of great price. In Jesus' name, amen.